Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, welcome back, Solar Warriors. If you're new here, I just want to welcome you and thank you for taking time out of your busy day, giving us a chance to earn your attention by lending us your ears and the only thing that you cannot get back that's non-renewable, and that is your time. Today's Clean Energy Champion is going to help us clarify and better understand exactly how and why public power benefits the energy transition. What can we learn from the nation's only 100% public power state and the importance of electing allies to the governing boards that are creating the electricity grids of the present and the future. I hope that you have subscribed to the show. That'll ensure that you won't miss out on our twice weekly content just like this. Of course, you can check out our nearly 600 additional clean energy founder stories and career advice over at mysuncast.com. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Our guest today, Eric Williams, has been working to conserve natural resources and expand clean energy in Omaha, Nebraska for the past 17 years. His first clean energy experience was as founder of Omaha Biofuels Cooperative to make biofuels from waste vegetable oil, an organization that continues that work to this day. He installed solar panels on his own home way back a decade ago, 2014, and he's helped several community nonprofits focus on clean energy, including Nebraskans for Solar. In 2018, he was publicly elected to the board of directors at Omaha Public Power District, or OPPD as it is known, where he works to expand policy for equitable distribution of the benefits of the clean energy transition I want to give a quick shout out to our mutual friend, Robert Latimer, lover of clean energy and music festivals, and who helped me get to know Eric and brought him to my attention. Eric, welcome to the show. Yeah, great. Um, Thanks very much for inviting me. Glad to be here. I'm glad to be talking about how the clean energy transition can benefit the customer owners of OPPD and people across our state and around the country. Indeed, indeed. And uh, I just wanted to reiterate that uh, if you are looking uh, this is a shameless plug for our friend, Robert. If you are looking at doing power projects in the utility scale category in uh, Nebraska and you need someone to help you with their with your land, uh, I can truly think of no other person I would recommend more and have recommended than Robert Latimer. I uh, just wanted to point him out as someone who has successfully transitioned his career as a landman for the oil and gas industry into a landman for some rather important renewable energy projects. You know, I like to start out the interview, lately at least, with something that I hold near and dear, which are quotes. I believe that they are timeless treasures that inspire and uh, and can nourish us. They can also guide us and give us an anchor when we need them. Uh, I'm going to share one in a moment, but I would like to invite you, Eric, to share yours. I think I was struck by your LinkedIn URL, which is itself, uh, it's unique as an identifier. Very few people actually edit their LinkedIn something that I tell tell folks to do, edit that LinkedIn URL to give yourself some unique category. Yours says, know thyself. Tell me a little more about what that means to you. Yeah, um, that's a kind of short quote from Socrates. Um, I picked it up sometime in college. Uh, I guess to me, it means trying to understand who you are and your place in the world and how you can work toward the improvement of your own life and the lives of others. Yeah, and you mentioned also that uh, Socrates has a longer quote. I'd love to hear it. I, I had not heard it before. I uh, heard you mention it to me prior. Yeah, I can't remember where I originally read it, but my my interpretation is um, to remember from Plato's Apology, are you not ashamed of seeking to heap up the greatest amount of money and honor and reputation and caring so little for truth and beauty and the greatest improvement of the soul, which you never regard or heed at all? And that has um, stuck with me for uh, maybe the last two decades or so, uh, kind of just reminding 
me that there are important things to do in our society, and they don't always translate directly into material wealth or possessions for you personally, um, but that they are still important work to be done. And I feel like that uh, ethic is what led me to want to be an elected official at our public power utility. And I hope that I'm uh, living up to the expectations that uh, that my man Socrates set several hundred years ago, I love <laughs> a thousand it. years ago. I love it. We will, uh, I'm grateful to have come across that quote as well. I will certainly link to uh, a place where folks can read a little more about it and to the quote itself. If you missed it, there's a great uh, defense against second accusers, pleasure's apology uh, from, from a website that I have found. I think it's fun to read philosophy. The defense against the second accusers is that Socrates is not ashamed to have pursued philosophy. I think it's apropos because many of us readily embrace that we are not shamed to have pursued an energy transition. And that is taking shape in different ways across the landscape of our country. Uh, I think that as is so often the case, middle America, the breadbasket of the country gets overlooked in the ways that it uh, improves the nature of how we live across the United States. Most folks fo are focused on the coasts and their impact politically and otherwise. I'd like to focus on uh, the state of Nebraska and more specifically, how public power works. We did an episode a while back, I think it was the end of 2021, with the then CEO of CPS Energy, which is a public power entity in Austin. It's actually the largest public power uh, entity in the United States, as I recall where we discuss the difference between public power and private or investor-owned utilities, which is uh, the most prominent uh, form out in California and other states, I've increasingly realized that many are unaware of the difference between these types of uh, entities, the impact their existence has on consumer energy options and the opportunities that one versus the other present for citizens to have an impact on the way our power is actually produced. So today, we're going to open up that topic with Eric how you can uh, understand it, how and why you can and should participate if you live in a place where there's an opportunity to do so. And by the way, most of us do. Uh, so I'll start with a really simple premise or question, Eric, that um, I think most of us take for granted. Doesn't every state have a PUC or a public utility commission? Well, almost every state. Uh, Nebraska does not. The um, electric utilities are um, state sanctioned. Um, that was thanks to George Norris back in the 30s. Uh, he recognized the value of public power to the both urban population and the rural population in Nebraska, making sure that we were connecting everyone to the grid and bringing the value um, that uh, electrification uh, had to society. So uh, the public power structure in Nebraska is unique. We are all public power. There are no investor owned or private electric utilities in Nebraska. Generally, there are three larger utilities, the Omaha Public Power District, kind of on the eastern portion, serving Omaha and the surrounding area. Nebraska Public Power District, serving most of the rest of the state of Nebraska, and then the Lincoln Electric System, serving the second largest city and the capital of Nebraska, uh, Lincoln. And they are more like a municipal utility, uh, serving mostly just the direct area around the city of Lincoln. There are a collection of other uh, public utilities across the state of Nebraska, um, rural electric associations, cooperatives, uh, about 150, I think. And most of them do not do the generation themselves, but they wholesale purchase from NPPD and then do the retail and customer service and uh, distribution management for their customers across the state. But they are also public power entities with elected leadership to, uh, to make sure that they are accountable to the customer owners that they represent. Fascinating. The core concept here around how public power works is something that I want us to explore. And then we'll get into how it's different in, um, in different States as well. Point out uh, something I learned from one of the other uh, interviews that you did. This gentleman, George Norris, also was instrumental in the uh, also unique unicameral policy or um, sort of political infrastructure in Nebraska. I would encourage folks that are so inclined to go learn more about George Norris and his general impact on the way Nebraska stands out from other states here in the United States. But how are public power entities represented differently from? those states and jurisdictions that have a PUC. Uh, in particular, what does a public power district or utility do that is uh, separate in nature from the way we perhaps understand those of us who get power from Duke or you know, PG&E uh, or Dominion? Yeah, well, one thing I want to cover up front is that as a publicly elected official, any views I express are my own and do not necessarily represent the broader board. There are eight directors or the entire organization. So 
I represent the people of Subdivision 6 in the northeast part of Omaha in Douglas County, um, and I do have feelings that I expressed as a candidate and that I now carry forward as a director on the board of directors, but my individual feelings are not the policy that is carried forward by the organization. That's set by the entire board and then carried out by the executives and the staff at the utility. And so I think that is a good reminder of the way in which elected directors represent the people in their territory, but also it highlights the benefits of public power, that there is direct accountability. Uh, our terms are six years, which is great. It's the most policy and implementation and the least amount of politics. So uh, our terms uh, every six years does offer an opportunity for the customer owners to provide feedback on what our electric utility is doing and whether or not the elected official is carrying forward the vision and values that the people want to see in the way that uh, their electric system is designed, built, and operated. So the difference there um, compared to the investor-owned utilities or private utilities is that there is, again, direct accountability. And uh, the directors at OPPD and across the state of Nebraska are surprisingly accessible. My uh, cell phone number and email address um, are posted on my business card and in lots of places. Uh, and then I have social media accounts that I respond to personally because uh, I do not have a staff. Um, I have a day job, so this is mostly nights and weekends for me. But I am available to the people I represent, as are the other directors. And again, I think that highlights the way in which public power is responsive to the people of our communities. There's about a million people in OPPD's service territory. So each of the eight board members represents about 120,000 people. Um, and we try to listen to everyone who has comments, questions, concerns, and then carry those forward in the way in which we make policy, both about our resource planning, but also in the areas of our 15 strategic directives, which is the guiding underlying policy that um, tells the, the executives and staff at OPPD how we're going to move forward. So the board establishes what outcomes we want to see, and then the uh, staff delivers how we're going to get there. And, and again, I think that is kind of fundamentally different than the way in which investor-owned utilities or private utilities operate, where they are driven by an external consideration to maximize profitability or, um, or benefit for shareholders, mm -hmm. which do not necessarily and most frequently do not at all overlap with the other stakeholder group, the customers in the jurisdiction of the utility. And so, you know, in public power, there is only one ultimate stakeholder group, it is the people who live in the area who are the customers of the utility who also get to elect the leadership of the of the utility. And so they have a voice in shaping where they want to see things move forward. There is um, one state level agency that has um, some jurisdictional um, separation responsibility. The Power Review Board helps to make sure that there isn't an overlap in territory between the different um, public utilities. Uh, but they are not primarily tasked with overseeing uh, either rate cases or um, resource planning or other things that uh, generally uh, might be overseen by an appointed or elected regulator in other states. Mm -hmm. So the primary responsible entity uh, or group of people is the board of directors at the Public Power District. And we operate in the three capacities of director and regulator and customer advocate. And so I think that that is kind of, again, fundamentally different than the way an investor-owned uh, utility would work. Uh, the best example around here would be that um, just recently was the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people know that Berkshire owns a bunch of uh, energy companies. Uh, Mid-American is, is well understood there. But I would challenge anyone who had a, um, a thought or a comment or a concern with the way in which Mid-American was operating. Do you think you would have a chance to ask the uh, leadership at the top of Mid-American or Warren himself, mm. do you think you would have a chance to ask that person to take a phone call or an email or meet with you in person for coffee and talk about the way in which you view the utility operations? I, I think that's pretty unlikely. And, and so I think that that again highlights that public power is accountable to the people in the service territory and investor-owned utilities are accountable to uh, other driving factors that do not always align um, with the, uh, the interests of the people who are served by the utility. Are they referred to most commonly as public power utilities or districts? What's the common vernacular? Both. Um, yeah, the, the names for most of the public power districts in Nebraska, Omaha Public Power District, Nebraska Public Power District, mostly mm -hmm. district in the name of the organization, but it is an electric utility. Generally, they are standalone electric utilities. There yeah. are some that have other functions as well. Nebraska is a highly agricultural state. And so access to water for irrigation is um, critically important. And so again, uh, George Norris uh, very highly valued the resources available to maximize the quality of life for rural people in Nebraska and uh, control of water is similarly important. And so there is some overlap with irrigation districts, um, but, but generally, yeah, public power district, and it is usually just a standalone electric utility. 
I appreciate that, uh, that information. I'll share some stats that I shared back in the original episode that we'll link to for those who are, who are curious and are trying to come up to speed on how public power works. As per publicpower.org, there are three types of electric utilities in the country, uh, public power being one, investor-owned utilities and co-ops being the other two. Public power utilities are not-for-profit, community-owned, and locally controlled, as Eric just described. In fact, fun fact, one in seven Americans are served by public power utility. More than 2,000 communities in 49 states and five territories have a public power utility. And as a whole, and we'll get into this uh, in just a moment, public power utilities have lower rates than other types of electric utilities. But the charge specifically for a, a public utility is to provide the most affordable power to constituents. One of the ways that that is done that's different from an IOU is these is elections. I wanted to dig into, before I get into sort of that charge to provide reliable and affordable power, how are elections run? And we don't need to contrast it with private companies like MidAmerican, um, which is is unclear to anyone how how the senior leadership is, uh, is chosen. But in uh, public power specifically, you're an elected official. You run the same as other uh, as other political campaigns um, might be done. Can you talk a bit about why you chose to do it, how the elections are run, um, and kind of unpack that scenario for us? Yeah, uh, as you said earlier, uh, I've been working for clean energy in my community for uh, quite a while, um, more than 15, 17 years mm-hmm. now. Um, and I had some influence through my own actions in my own life. I was able to make my own fuel for my own diesel vehicle through the Omaha Biofuels Cooperative. When I was looking for a house in 2011, the primary consideration was, does it have south-facing roof exposure? Because I knew that um, the next best way for me to meet my own needs was through installing solar on my own roof, which I did in 2014. Climbed up there and did the install myself um, back when I was uh, more into that kind of thing and had more time and and interest to do a lot of my own uh, handwork. But I, I realized that even as an individual and a community leader with organizations like Nebraskans for Solar and the Green Omaha Coalition, I had some impact, but the best way to drive impact for supporting a clean energy transition would be to make policy change at the electric utility. And there is a path by which an individual who is not an employee has not spent their career working um, in the utility. There is a path by which you can be involved in the direction of the utility moving forward. Again, public power allows that public election to um, help guide the policy at the utility. And so I decided that the best way for me to move from my individual or community-based activity, the next step would be uh, to take a leadership, uh, to, to seek a leadership position at the electric utility and, and work toward policy change for clean energy um, within our community. And so um, I announced a campaign about a year before the election. Um, I spent all of 2018 engaging with people across the several areas of the community that I was um, seeking to represent. Uh, and then um, I, was, uh, I was successful and was elected in November of 2018, which was uh, great. It was the first time I had been directly engaged in politics myself. Uh, I found a lot of great support from people in our community who know the value of public power. And so I appreciated everything they did for me in 2018. And now I am uh, seeking to represent their best interests uh, as the as the director on the board. So it's an interesting realization that if you want to see change in your community, a huge number of us across the country have the ability to directly become involved with the utility and drive that policy change. And it is more than most people think. Yeah. Um, the number you referenced was one in seven. Um, I, I'd be interested in the citation there. I've also heard up to as many as maybe one in three people oh, wow. um, in the country are represented by a public power utility. Um, it is a, uh, a significant portion of all of the electric utilities in the country. A lot of them are small and rural, mostly because rural customers being long distances away from urban centers uh, sometimes cost more to serve. And so it is important to make sure that we provide uh, electricity to everyone. And the rural electrification um, movement made sure that that happened. And so public power was in a large portion of the country the answer to make sure that we didn't leave out rural people from the, the benefits of electricity service. Uh, and so a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh, public power entities now are in the farther away areas mm-hmm. serving uh, serving those rural customers. But there are uh, plenty of cities that also have uh, public power districts. The best way to find out is the large public power council. Um, okay. It's the top 20 largest public power utilities in the country. Um, and so you can see places like um, the SMUD, Sacramento Municipal Utility District, Austin Energy, um, several in Colorado. There are several places that are very large cities that are served by very large public power districts. And Omaha is one of those places. You know, I, I think that 
there are a lot of benefits to public power. I'm a strong supporter of public power, and, and I'm, I feel very fortunate that I was successful in the election to help guide the direction of public power in my community toward clean energy and, and the benefits it brings for people uh, in, in Omaha and across our state. Thank you. We'll link to LPPC as, uh, as a resource for folks that want to learn more about the, the public power in their area. And uh, I didn't actually uh, know about that. The citation comes from publicpower.org, uh, the American Public Power Association, specifically from their web uh, representatives. It's just a link called Stats and Facts. So. Yeah, APPA is another great organization. Um, they represent not just the largest public power districts, but I think about 1,600 utilities. Yes, and yes. it's possible that I have misunderstood. Um, I, I thought I thought a third, maybe it's a third of a third of something. Anyway, uh, yeah. it's a third of the power. I can't remember. Anyway, it's there's, still, there's a lot of people. A still, lot of yeah, people. <laughs> still candidly, like it's a staggering number, one in seven, um, uh, potentially more, that are served by a specific structure for generation of uh, electricity that most people don't understand. Uh, so as a result, you mentioned something along the way around uh, being elected. That is something I've been talking about a lot. I talked about it here at, at the beginning as well, that the power to effect change at a local level is, you know, it's it's one of the traditions that underscores the value of American civil liberty. And it's one of those, uh, it's a rare opportunity today that we see folks who both understand at a broad level how an economic sector like energy works uh, and who also have the ability to be elected in a position to affect change, to be a regulator, to to hold accountable the other decision makers in, the, in that ecosystem. And I've said very recently, and, and this is one of the reasons why I want to have you on, that as an industry, we have an opportunity to to become allies for consumers who want reliable, affordable, low-cost, clean electricity. And I mentioned earlier that you have a charge as a public utility to provide the most affordable power to constituents. There's been a nationwide comparison of electric utility performance by an Illinois consumer advocacy group that um, I know that you've talked about in previous engagements that found in states that are heavily reliant on fuel oil and natural gas as in much of the South where I live and the Northeast, they tend to pay more than those with larger amounts of carbon-free generation. Nebraska, in fact, ranks in the top 10 in that report. As a corollary there, Nebraska is also the only 100% public power state in the union. And I'm curious to hear, how do the two correlate there? The, the idea of public power as a model and uh, the contribution to the state's ability to provide affordable and reliable electricity in the construct specifically of the energy transition. Yeah, I, uh, I talked to, um, I gave an interview a few years ago, and um, I pointed out that public power is not a panacea for whatever your desired outcome is from your electric utility. Um, the mission of OPPD is affordable, reliable, and environmentally sensitive energy services for our customers. And if you look at the APPA mission, uh, most public power entities have basically that same um, that same three part mission. Uh, and so, you know, it, it is uh, it is important that we focus on all three parts of that. And you're right. Affordability and reliability have been the traditional um, components of that mission. And when you look at national rankings, uh, Nebraska is uh, above average top quartile in affordability and reliability. And my understanding is that, as you said earlier, public power broadly is less expensive than investor owned utilities. And additionally, I believe that it is also more reliable than investor-owned utilities. I think that the jury is out on whether or not public power is advancing the clean energy transition faster than private utilities. Uh, I think that that is a very difficult thing to quantify. Yeah. Um, but I do think that the first two are critical to most people. When you when you talk to someone as a candidate for a board of directors uh, at an electric utility, almost everyone's first response will be keep the rates low. Yeah, I mean, and then if you push them a little, you can get them to say something else. But as a candidate, that was almost always what I found out. And yeah. so in order to kind of make sure that I was addressing that, the three points of my campaign were to provide fair rates for our customer owners, public engagement about the direction that public power was moving, and to advance the clean energy market opportunities that have been available in Nebraska. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and I think that that really reflects the other important part about public power. Not only do you have an opportunity to uh, become involved in the policymaking if you would like, yeah. but additionally, a huge number of people around the country have 
vocally and proactively express their support for clean energy, uh, wind, solar, energy efficiency, all of the technologies that make make our electric utilities strong and resilient and reduce emissions across the country. And, and huge numbers of people have been vocally supportive of that. And if you ask them, they will tell you they want to see policy implemented that accelerates um, deployment of solar and wind and the clean energy transition more broadly. So it's not just that you can become involved in policymaking yourself. There also are a huge number of people who are advocates of clean energy right now on boards of directors and in elected positions of responsibility across the country. And they would love to hear from you because they would love to be supported in the work that I'm sure that they represented, they wanted to do as a candidate, and that they are now carrying forward uh, in their official responsibility um, at, uh, at their utility or in their regulatory capacity. Have you been curious about utility scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid-cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. Its built-in DC-to-DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. You know, when you partner with our partner, Trina Solar US, you get more than best-in-class Vertex modules. You also gain a bankable partner for optimized compatibility and improved system value. With the Trina Pro Utility Scale Solution, or C&I Solutions, Trina Solar is the only PV module manufacturer in the United States that offers one-stop system integration solutions, including Trina Tracker, inverters, and full BOS support to lower your levelized cost of electricity. Learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash Trina. Hey, pardon the interruption, but I wanted to just let you know how much of an impact you have on Suncast. Yeah, you. Thank you for clicking play. Without you, this show is just me shouting into the void. But there's still people who don't even know about Suncast. I know, I can hardly believe it myself. (laughs) But that's where you can help me yet again. There's a simple way that you can show some love and help others discover the show. If you cruise over to www.ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast, I'd love it if you would leave a five-star rating and enthusiastic review. That's possibly the single kindest thing that you could do for me today. So if the show has helped, inspired, or even entertained you at all, I'd love it if you would head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast and give me a virtual two thumbs up. All right, back to today's episode. I neglected to bring in uh, my quote earlier, and I think it's probably a good time to do so because uh, in our charge to folks that it is our obligation to stand in the gap uh, at the civil level where we want to see change. Um, the quote, as, as some listeners know, I have rotating quotes on the background of my computer and the one that's up as we uh, are engaging in this conversation is by Tucci Palmieri. And it is, it is better to do something imperfectly than to do nothing perfectly. What do you say to those constituents and naysayers who parrot fossil fuel propaganda that suggests that solar and wind and other renewables are in fact unreliable? The definition of reliability is a point of significant contention across the country right now from FERC all the way down. And so there is a significant amount of discussion happening. But I think the point is that the definition of reliability needs to be updated based on what we know are the extremely low cost technologies that are available. So in the three part mission, remember that reliability is one part. Affordability and environmental sensitivity are also parts of that. And so you need to you need to have a balance of resources And while solar and wind are not, quote, reliable in the sense that it is someone's finger on a button and they can be dispatched whenever you want, um, they are reliable in the sense of two-week and day-ahead projections um, and forecasts are are very, very reliable. We have very good information. It's getting better all the time. So Mm. it's a different version of understanding what reliability means. We have seasonal projections. We know there will be more sun in the afternoon in the summer. We know there will be more wind at night and in the winter. There are different forms of understanding the way in which our resources are available. They are intermittent, 
but intermittent does not mean unreliable. And I think that people who intentionally wish to oppose a clean energy transition and specifically to oppose renewables want you to believe that intermittent means unreliable. And that is not the case. Reliable, by the definition that we have used in the past, means one particular thing, but a reliable electric system more broadly and a resilient electric system needs to have definitions that are paired to the technology that we have available today and the outcomes that we want to see achieved in the future. Yeah, I think another key ingredient here is uh, we often see on a political level, folks talk about the the fact that we have to import uh, this or that uh, resource to, let's say, generate wind or solar, despite the fact that these technologies are homegrown from our national renewable energy labs that we exported and shared with the world as a, as a creation from our own um, sort of intellectual capacity here, intellectual property at home in the United States. Um, how many of our current generation technologies are uh, natural resources in Nebraska? Remind me. Uh, we do not have any um, coal mining in Nebraska. We do not have a, I believe there is a very, very tiny amount of petroleum or um, mm -hmm. uh, fossil gas in Nebraska. Uh, we do not have any um, uranium in Nebraska. Mm -hmm. um, we do have, in extreme abundance, wind, solar, and biomass. Yeah. And so when you look to the types of resources that are available in our state and to the agricultural history of our state, um, agriculture and biomass have been the driver of our economy since the state was uh, founded. But more importantly, agriculture is basically a biochemical mechanism for capturing solar energy. <laughs> and so the primary input to the most important industry in our state has always been the sun. And I think it's important that we realize we have an exceptional abundance of natural, clean, renewable natural resources in Nebraska, and we currently need to import the fossil resources that we would use for other forms of generation. And again, it is important to understand the balance of those different resources. But when you talk about where your energy comes from, a huge portion of my energy comes from the solar panels that are on my roof right now, generating the energy, operating the computer for this podcast. And, and I think that the local reliability and resilience that comes from distributed generation, both distributed at an individual home and business level, but um, local renewable energy in Nebraska has not yet received the economic benefit recognition that would be appropriate. And I think it also hasn't recognized the rural economic development opportunities that come from solar and wind in Nebraska and, and the reliability and resilience that comes from having direct control over the accessibility of the primary input um, fuel for your, for your energy generation. So if there is a disruption to the pipeline network, or the trains that deliver the coal, you have some amount of storage. But uh, as we saw during URI, a disruption to those adjacent and intertwined systems mm -hmm. will have significant impacts over the way in which the availability and reliability of your electricity um, can be delivered. And so, you know, the looking at the fundamental resources that are available in your state should be, uh, or in your area, should be a, a primary mechanism and a primary consideration when you decide what types of energy would we like to use to fuel our modern lives and to fuel the success of, of, the, of the, people's, um, the people and businesses in our community. Yeah, and uh, to your credit, you mentioned that you were able to stabilize your resource, your energy input, and thus the cost of that resource into perpetuity. Really. And I ask folks all the time, as I've heard you say as well, you know, Eric, how much more did the sun cost you this year than last year? Yeah, the, the sun was the same this year, last year, um, only uh, actually uh, it, it got a little cheaper. I, and and that, that sounds like a joke, but we had a tree in the southwest corner of our house that needed to be removed. And when it was the um, daily and annual solar production increased, but there was no increase in cost to the solar. So yield went up with no additional investment. So I, I mean, that is mostly a joke and not typical, but the solar actually got cheaper for me uh, compared to where it was when I installed it originally. And compared, I'm sure, to any natural gas, should you choose to use it? compared this year to last year if you had an excessive winter did you have control over the natural gas costs to power to heat your home uh, I didn't, but we have been seeking to gain control over the cost of the energy in our home by transitioning from gas appliances to electric appliances. Um, we've been using a plug-in uh, induction stove to practice induction cooking. That handles almost all of our cooking now. We do still have the gas stove. But beyond that, uh, we did recently need to replace an outdated um, natural gas water heater, and we replaced it with a heat pump electric water heater. And so um, I have already been able to see a shift in the decrease in the gas bill, the gas consumption. 
and the uh, and the bill, but an increase in the electric consumption and the electric bill. Uh, so again, that is shifting other energy consumption into what is generated by the solar panels on our house and giving me more control over both the cost and availability of the energy that fuels all of the aspects of our lives. I want to get into something that might be considered a little bit, a little controversial. I want to reiterate that the commentary from Eric is as an individual who has a particular and uh, and strong opinion about how he'd like to see uh, power generated in, in the state of Nebraska and, and beyond. That said, in uh, 2016, people started to elect yourself and others who are vocally in favor of a clean energy transition, seeing that advance. And uh, as a result, all three public power utilities have committed to independently adopted decarbonization goals. Can you talk a bit about that transition for you as a citizen of Nebraska to see that come about and some of the potential dangers inherent in the, the state level and national narrative that around public power and how public power should be managed and regulated that could jeopardize uh, our collective trajectory towards decarbonizing the grid? Yeah, there was one underlying factor um, in Nebraska prior to the uh, election of new directors uh, at OPPD. The state was considering a change in the way in which elections occurred. Uh, OPPD mm -hmm. with eight directors had five that were elected on a metro-wide basis. And so there was a change uh, internally at OPPD to have eight individual districts, meaning there was better local representation, and that allowed people to more directly connect with their constituents. So where previously would have been a constituency of something like 500,000, that number fell down to closer to 100,000. And that is a more representative method of electing the leadership at OPPD. And so I wouldn't characterize the newly elected directors over the last few election cycles as exclusively focusing on renewable energy, although that has been a continual point for many of the candidates who are now directors. But fundamentally, it is just a, a better representative uh, leadership structure at OPPD than we did have previously. So I, I think that was that was the critical underlying component. And I feel that better lives up to the expectations of public power in Nebraska by having a more local leadership um, structure. So from there, in 2016, there were two new directors elected. Uh, in 2018, three more new directors were elected, including myself. And then in 2020, two new directors were elected again. And so seven of the eight directors at OPPD now have served um, less than seven years, which is a dramatically lower tenure than um, was common before. And and again, I feel that that is because, because the change in the electoral structure made it more accessible for people to directly connect with their elected officials. Uh, I feel like more people wanted to be engaged in the, uh, in the process. So two new directors were elected in 2016, three more in 2018. Um, my first year on the board, I was very proud to support the initiative for the decarbonization goal of net zero by 2050, which we approved um, in the fall of 2019. Uh, I was even more uh, thrilled to see that the following year, Lincoln Electric System also approved the decarbonization goal through their administrative board, who is appointed by the mayor rather than elected. But their administrative board um, did approve a decarbonization goal of net zero by 2040. And then Nebraska Public Power District approved a net zero 2050 decarbonization goal in December of 2021. And the public power structure in Nebraska led to, no offense to the reporters who may have written stories about this, but a lot of inaccurate and incomplete coverage. People said that Nebraska passed laws that led to 100% clean energy. That's not really right. People said that it was implemented at the state level. Again, that's not really right. The more correct version would be that independently elected directors uh, at each of the three large generating utilities, they all collectively agreed that decarbonization goals for public power utilities were the best way to serve the needs of our customer owners. Mm -hmm. And so it was not an individual mandate from the executive side or passed through the legislative side, but it was through repeated election of directors at utilities and collective discussion by the directors with the executives and the staff at those utilities with everyone recognizing clean energy is the best way forward. We should see policy that matches those expectations. Are you as an elected director able to be reelected? Yep, there are not term limits. Um, the terms are six years. And so my term, my current term would end in 2024. Um, and I do plan to run for reelection in 2024. Um, 
again, I mentioned that six-year terms are quite long. So, you know, two elections would mean 12 years um, on the board. And that is that is a, that is quite a long time. So we'll see how things go if I am reelected by the end of 2030. I expect that the utility will look dramatically different by 2030 than it did in 2018 when I began campaigning, and uh, and and perhaps um, other uh, other leaders will uh, will be ready to take over from there and continue to carry things forward. Well, you know, uh, in in doing a little bit of research around so, sort of the the alternative dialogue in Nebraska, as you mentioned, there have been uh, there are are many different voices, some in favor of clean energy, others against it. I came across a public study. It is titled to study the benefits of coal, gas, nuclear, and the drawbacks of renewables. Uh, Can you talk about sort of the other side of the coin in Nebraska politics and, uh, and what is happening in that state that other states surrounding it and as you know, even, and even further afield uh, might want to pay attention to and sort of be on the lookout for. I think it's really important as advocates that we know what is being said broadly and what sort of activities could lead to unexpected outcomes or certainly un, uh, unwanted outcomes if you are in favor of a clean energy transition. Yeah, the um, the study you referenced was part of a proposed legislative bill in 2023 in the Nebraska uh, unicameral one house legislature, mm-hmm. um, and it did not move forward this year. Um, I was disappointed in the way the study was framed. It was quite clearly highlighting that the study would focus on the benefits of fossil resources. And, and I believe nuclear was included on, on that side. In this case, nuclear bounces between whether it associates with fossil resources or associates with renewable resources. Right. In this study, I believe it was specifically associated with <clears throat> the side of the side of the resources that would be studied for benefits. Mm-hmm. And the other side of the study was to study the drawbacks of renewable energy. And, right. and I do have some significant concerns with the framing of a study from the legislature that proactively in the wording of the uh, of the intention of the study sets up that dichotomy of we right. want to find ways to support fossil and nuclear resources, and we want to find ways to intentionally undermine renewable resources. Right. I have a significant concern with that proactive determination and language that was used in that legislative bill mm-hmm. in the way it might frame what we're trying to study. If the study had said that we want to have a comprehensive understanding of the benefits of all types of electric generation resources in our community, I would be much more open to that. But when you proactively indicate that you want to put essentially put your thumb on the scale in one direction or the other, mm-hmm. that raises significant concerns for me. I think it is important to recognize when you are setting policy related to energy and specifically related to renewable energy, what are the intentions of the studies and the information that are going into that policy making? And and to that end, I mean, right now we do not have a value of solar study uh, either at OPPD or in Nebraska. I would be extremely supportive of seeing OPPD or a statewide study of the value of solar because at every turn, when we find more information about solar, we find that it is more beneficial than we expected in the past. Right. And, and that continues to be true. The learning curve continues to lower the cost, but the studies continue to highlight more and more benefits, especially when you match it with uh, storage, solar and storage is just the strongest winning combination of kind of any technology pairing I've seen in a very long time. Yeah. And, and so if you're going to study what types of resources we would like to see used in the future, uh, make sure that you study all of the potential benefits and all of the potential drawbacks of all of the potential resources. Yeah. There are things that you cannot get from renewables and everyone knows that and it is important to recognize that. But there are ways in which renewables and solar specifically are significantly more beneficial in deployment onto the grid now than additional other fossil resources or other traditional resources. And so if you give an honest uh, an honest evaluation of all of the options, I'm quite confident that a recommendation for rapid deployment of significantly more renewable energy will have the most comprehensive set of benefits. I concur. And yet... We see attempts at retrenchment like the one that we described here, uh, at least uh, to steal some verbiage from our friend Leah Stokes. Um, But we also recognize that by and large, and it's been quoted and cited that even in um, predominantly red states, folks are in favor of renewables, just not in my backyard, right? So can we talk a bit about the um, enormously 
sorry, outsized backyards, as it were, in uh, the breadbasket of the United States, the ability for us to fill them with solar and wind um, and the zoning and other restrictions that could potentially limit that. You've got major players like NextEra, um, you know, waiting forever for conditional use permits on massive projects that would triple, quadruple the amount of uh, renewable resource on the grid in uh, Nebraska. And it's not the only state uh, like that. Can you talk a bit about some of the high profile sort of cases that are happening right now in Nebraska that that could serve as a warning sign and definitely serve as a moment of caution for what is being driven at a grassroots level effectively against renewables that as an industry we need to get out ahead of and uh, sort of the talking points that you see on both sides? Yeah, um, there are about 80 megawatts of solar capacity installed in Nebraska right now. That's mostly in community solar projects uh, at most of the smaller electric utilities who are authorized to do that, even as wholesale purchasers from NPPD. There are currently no full what anyone uh, what you might generally describe as utility scale solar installations in Nebraska. So 80 megawatt, 80 megawatts of accumulated solar uh, generation capacity installed now, and OPPD is currently in the process of constructing an 81 megawatt solar uh, utility scale facility known as Platteview, um, which is on kind of the west side of our territory. Mm-hmm. And so, when one project will double the entire installed capacity in the state, that's great. I very strongly support it. But it should be noted that the capacity installed in the state now is low enough that a single project can double it. Yeah, and You mentioned another project in Cass County. There have been recent updates to the zoning that would allow utility scale solar installations in agriculturally zoned land. Mm -hmm. And there is a proposed project in Cass County that, um, to my understanding, is continuing to move forward. But the zoning updates were needed in order to allow that project to apply for that conditional use permit. Um, And that project is listed as potentially around 320 megawatts. And so by that standard, even after the 80 plus 81, Mm -hmm. 320 would triple again the installed capacity in Nebraska. So a few projects might have a six-fold increase in the entire installed capacity in the state. Um, And and that is, again, tremendous to see. I believe that the benefits from those projects will be significant, both during construction and then during operation. But that just indicates to me that we are just at the very beginning of the incredible potential opportunities for rural economic activity, for the um, type of uh, recognition of the clean renewable resources that we have in Nebraska uh, and to meet the needs of the customer owners who have repeatedly elected directors who have said they want to see more clean energy deployed. And so it is important that we proactively understand that another group of elected officials has significant influence over deployment of renewables. Mm-hmm. And that is the county commissioners oh, yeah. who are in a very large number of jurisdictions actively reviewing zoning and permitting policies for both solar and wind. And some counties are moving intentionally in the direction of taking advantage of the rural economic development opportunity that wind and solar provide. And some counties are moving to set significantly increased and restrictive setbacks or other restrictions or guidelines that would effectively zone uh, renewable energy out of their county. And, and, and I think that when we are seeing the types of benefits starting to increase at an, uh, you know, at, at an accelerating rate, and we are simultaneously seeing proactive attempts to pass policy that will prohibit that type of economic opportunity from advancing, that is, I think that is concerning. Mm-hmm. And I think that more people need to recognize the connection between rural land use policy and the potential for the clean energy transition and the benefits that it brings both to rural communities from the lease payments and the ongoing operational um, tax revenues, but also to the utilities and the customers who consume the energy, both the um, both the small scale residential and commercial customers and the large scale industrial customers who really, really, really want to have clean energy. Yeah. I'm so glad that you phrased it the way that you did. County commissioners wield an incredible power. That power in not just Nebraska and other places has been used to effectively say, yes, solar, but not here, <laughs> as, I, as I suggested. One great example that is not related to solar, but rather to wind is, uh, is I think it's one that I want to highlight because it on the surface doesn't appear to restrict renewables in the way that, that it effectively does, but it effectively becomes a, a ban on 
wind in that particular county. Can you talk about the one mile setback rule in a specific county in Nebraska and the potential impact that has on wind in an area that is a high wind resource? Yeah, um, there have been counties who have passed policies that uh, increase setback distances. Um, I think it's um, Jefferson County um, mm-hmm. that has recently passed a uh, a one mile setback distance. And I say that I think it's Jefferson only because there are mm-hmm. several other counties who are pursuing similar policies now. They're following and, it. That's the point, right? They're seeing it as an example. That's right. That's right. And and I and I mean, I feel weird saying uh, I want to make sure that someone should fact check this. I believe that another county followed that not with a one mile setback, but a five mile setback on wind turbines. And I believe that is from non-participating property lines. I, the, the specifics are are so uh, so outside of the national um, standard right now that it's hard to comprehend what that would mean. Uh, you know, wind turbines, when they were smaller, had something like a one and a half times height setback requirements. I believe that might have increased to something like three times the height. So if you have a 500-foot structure, you might see something like a 1,500-foot setback. That checks out. Um, that would be on the order of a third of a mile. But now we are seeing policies that are one mile and five mile setback. And that is pretty clearly an indication of we do not want this in our community, but it is illegal to proactively write policy that explicitly prohibits a resource from being developed. Right. Uh, and so these other, these other strategies of passing things that effectively prohibit renewable energy, but aren't a straightforward, a literal legal prohibition, I'm curious to see where that goes. And I do think that it's important to keep your eyes open in your community on whether or not this type of activity is occurring, because once established, it can have significant impact on whether or not utility scale projects are viable for utilities to pursue uh, in your area. Yeah, I'm actually looking up right now. I, I don't know the the counties and cities well enough in Nebraska to know if this is Nebraska. The Lexington Clipper Herald, is that in Nebraska? Sumner? When I researched, it says that uh, an area known as Sumner residents request five mile setbacks for wind turbines. Uh, it's uh, it's it's staggering, and the reality is that it again comes back to uh, folks having a very particular personal interests in why they do or don't want uh, this resource. I mean, we could probably have a, a thirty minute discussion on. The corollary, uh, you know, is the same true for mineral rights, uh, is the same true for fracking, if uh, if fracking were to come to your area because you can't see it, uh, but the damage that it does long term to uh, to the land. Um, coal, which isn't an issue they have to deal with in Nebraska, but that clears entire mountaintops in, uh, in the Appalachia region around here. So I feel that there is a need for us as an industry to get out ahead of this. One of the reasons why I wanted Eric to come on is to exp- express exactly how and why through public power utilities, which one in seven of you participate in or more, have the power, the ability, and also now, as we've discussed, county commissions to enable the energy transition in ways that are as powerful as starting your own solar company or going to work for uh, a solar company yourself. You did highlight that there are policies um, that are generally focused on what types of resources you do not want to see, right? right? Policies that are setback distances on wind or solar, or I have heard Mm -hmm. um, policies proposed that uh, set noise requirements for solar. Right. I I don't even (laughs) comprehend where that comes from, but um, that's okay. Um, but, But I think what's really important to understand is that if we have an increasing appetite for energy in our communities, yes, you need to get that energy somewhere. And policies that are specifically focused on ways that you will not get energy prohibiting wind or prohibiting solar are a complicated way to try and set energy policy moving forward. They are reducing options, but they are not required to be balanced against saying where you do want to get your energy, because there are only two options. You may get energy from one resource or another resource, or the third option is you don't get the energy. And as long as we aren't considering that as a possibility, now the important question is where do you want to get the energy, not just setting policies for where you do not want to get the energy. And I think that too often we allow the, um, as you said, NIMBY type policy setting to say, here are things we don't want Mm -hmm. without asking the more difficult question of, if you don't want that, what would you like instead? 
Yeah. And that is an, an incredibly important part of the way in which our energy policy needs to be made moving forward, because we want we are a society that is consuming more energy and it is bringing tremendous benefits to people's lives, specifically consuming more electricity. Yeah. And and you need to get that electricity somewhere. And just saying no to everything is not an effective way to meet the needs of people in our communities across Nebraska or across the country. Yeah. So OPPD. The organization that you serve, uh, for which you serve as a director and elected official, uh, is currently in the process of acquiring hundreds of megawatts as a generating utility uh, and is seeing exponential growth in distributed resources. I'd like for us to talk as we as we wind down the conversation here about the rural economic development benefits of utilizing renewable energy for states like Nebraska, specifically how current policies on the positive side, like the Inflation Reduction Act, change the way public power markets can benefit from solar and other renewables. Sure. Uh, as an all-public power state, there is one provision in the recent federal legislation that is most important, and that is the direct availability of the tax credits to public power districts. That was extremely important during the consideration of the IRA specifically for public power. The APPA and LPPC were very interested in whether or not that direct pay tax credit availability would be uh, included, and it was. And so primarily what that does is introduce the additional option of direct ownership of renewable energy for public power districts and you Utilities, um, compared to the power purchase agreements that have dominated the clean energy work in Nebraska and in many parts of the country uh, in the past. And so I think that the guidance from Treasury, DOE, IRS, all of those folks will help to illuminate what is the balance of direct ownership of resources compared to purchase of resources from a developer. Um, and I think that that is the primary area where additional investigation will be occurring in Nebraska moving forward based on the policy that has been set at the national level. Can you talk a bit about ways that uh, OPPD and other um, and the other two uh, public utilities are supporting renewables advancement? I know that you have net metering rules. Um, you have some new legislation uh, programs that are coming into existence. Can you talk a bit about what folks could who might look to Nebraska and say, "Oh, hadn't considered Nebraska." they might uh, want to wrap their heads around in terms of what it means for both residential and uh, potential utility scale uh, projects. Yeah, we, we've had net metering since 2009. That was actually um, in support of the net metering bill was my first public engagement around energy policy in Nebraska. I met a number of people who supported it in 2008. It was not approved in the legislature that year, but it came back and was approved in 2009. So um, kudos to everybody who put in that work so long ago. Um, that policy has been Lesser known than I think might have been um, ideal for a long time, but OPBD began tracking the number of installations of distributed generation or customer-owned resources over the last few years, and we are seeing exponential growth. Um, we saw a uh, in our um, uh, environmental stewardship uh, annual monitoring report, we have a graph that reflects the number of those systems installed primarily on residential homes, but it is, you know, 10 or 20 for a few years, and then 50, and then 100, and then last year, 500. And we uh, are currently projecting that to exceed 1,000 this year. And while that might sound small compared to other markets, remember that it went 10, 20, 50, 100, 500, 1,000. And that type of growth is because we are seeing the prices of solar fall, right. and we are seeing a more comprehensive understanding of the benefits. Yeah. And so um, our market is just uh, just beginning to emerge and on the residential or net metering side. And and in order for OPPD to help give our customer owners certainty that that will be beneficial to them, we have developed a trade ally program mm -hmm. and we have an incentive for distributed generation. It's $2,000 for a uh, customer-owned generation system to be installed. And it is tied to being a member of our trade ally program so that OPPD can give confidence to our customer owners that as the trusted energy provider in our uh, area, if you have questions about solar, you should look to our trade ally list. And if you participate, if you choose a trade ally approved contractor, you will be eligible for a $2,000 incentive toward your solar installation on your home. And that is in order to help shape the market in the direction that is most positive for the customer owners. And again, I think that is a way that public power is different than investor-owned utilities. I think mm -hmm. it is very unlikely that an investor-owned utility would proactively set policy to protect their customers from some of the negative consequences that can come from an extremely accelerating market. And that is not to call it anyone or any particular group on the way in which they have conducted business. But I think in far too many places across the country, we have seen people flood into a market and maybe not live up to the best practices that we might like to see. But the Trade Ally program is an attempt for the utility to say to our customer owners, 
we want to be here with you as you participate in distributed generation at your home. Uh, we'll help you to provide some certainty from, from these qualified contractors. So, so the uh, trade ally program coupled with an incentive is something that I was very strongly supportive of last year. I'm, there was a pilot version developed, and I'm very glad to see it implemented in OPPD now. And I'm very interested to see where it goes moving forward because our projections for the number of net metering installations were before that incentive was available. So I'm very curious to see mm -hmm. when we get the 2023 um, monitoring report with the numbers, what, what will the number of installed systems be? And um, I'm guessing that it will be higher than expectations, but uh, we'll find out uh, about a year from now. I love the trade ally program and uh, the incentive that goes along with it. You are correct that in many states, uh, you know, Florida as a great example, they see what we might refer to as boom and bust cycles of solar development and no steady, I mean, for years, for a decade, no steady, stable sort of market for contractors to build a solar practice around um, I think it's very smart for uh, for you all to put that program in place. And I think it is something that can be replicated in other states. I'll note that as well, and we'll link to some of the rebate uh, programs, uh, et cetera, and the expansions therein for the state of Nebraska for those who are interested. But net metering has moved from 25 kilowatts up to 100 kilowatts, which covers uh, a large swath of small commercial. And now with um, uh, with the IRA, there are lots of benefits for that for those small commercial providers and uh, nonprofits in the state who often fall under that 100 kilowatt threshold to own the system uh, themselves with direct pay. Uh, I mean, there are tremendous benefits to the state of Nebraska that are coming. And, and small commercial in Nebraska means one other thing, also agricultural. Um, specifically, there is a lot of land available and a very small portion of one corner of one of your fields can probably provide more than all of the electricity you need for your farm and your machine shed and all of your operations, your center pivot. Um, and the net metering policy is specific in OPPD's territory is specifically designed to allow you to produce that energy yourself um, and provide that additional um, economic benefit and um, reliability that you're looking for. And even if you're into it, the environmental benefits. The one portion of our net metering policy I would highlight is that it is net metering up to your monthly consumption, reconciled monthly, but beyond your monthly consumption, it falls back to the wholesale price. And I know there is a huge amount of discussion about this in other areas. Our policy is specifically designed to encourage offsetting your own consumption, not to be a microgenerator that is selling lots of power back to the grid. And so it is slightly different than other places. And it's really important that customers understand that. Don't oversize your solar to try and sell a bunch of electricity. That's not what net metering is for in Nebraska. But if you want to make all of your own energy, we strongly encourage that. And now we'll even give you an incentive to do so. I love that. And if you are out selling solar in the state of Nebraska, please take this clip and uh, proliferate it uh, to all of your potential customers. I think that Eric is one of the most well-versed, cogent, and concise speakers on this topic that I've come across, which is why I'm grateful to uh, our friend Rob for the introduction and Eric for you taking the time to join us on Suncast. I'm sure that more than a handful of folks are going to want to reach out to you at some point and, uh, and connect. You've said that it's very easy thanks to public power, to connect uh, with you in many different ways. I'd wonder where can po folks best engage with you? Where do you like to be found? Yeah, there's an official page on OPPD's website, um, but I'm also on Twitter, Williams for OPPD. Uh, I'm on Insta and Facebook as well. Um, there's an email address linked on most of those uh, places. Uh, Mastodon also because of changing dynamics on different platforms. So you can find me there as well. And I'd be glad to hear from anybody who is interested in helping to advance uh, solar energy specifically and uh, in the clean energy uh, transition more broadly across Nebraska and across our country. Larry, I'm sure some of those folks will find you on the interwebs and reach out directly. I want to thank you for taking the time to share with us how public power works and why it matters in the energy transition. Eric Williams is an elected director for the Omaha Public Power District, or OPPD, as we have mentioned numerous times here, and uh, is a clean energy advocate for now almost two decades. Thank you for taking time to be here with us, Eric. Yeah, it was a pleasure. And thanks for uh, helping to support clean energy and local power. Indeed. All right, Solar Warrior. Well, that's a wrap on today's episode with Eric Williams. Eric, thank you. What a wealth of information. And now you are better prepared to be active in the local economy where you live. I'm curious, what did you learn from the practical insights in today's Solar Warrior uh, journey with Eric? How are you going to apply it? Are you going to run for county commissioner or 
Public Utility Commission, uh, run for elected office at a public power utility in your own jurisdiction or state. I hope that you will. I hope that you will reach out and share with Eric how he's inspired you, share with us how this episode has impacted and inspired your decisions to take the next steps in being an advocate locally for ensuring that we have the right policies in place to proliferate clean, reliable, affordable electricity for all in the United States and beyond. Hey, since you're going to be online, if this impact in your career really resonated and you're grateful for the content that we are putting out for you, I'd love it if you would just take a moment and either in the app that you're in right now, just hit that subscribe button to make sure you get more content like this. Also, leave us a rating and a review. It helps others find the content that will help change the direction of their career, as we've heard from many listeners here on Suncast. If you are listening on the web or on your computer, uh, or if you just prefer to do this at another time, you can go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash Suncast and leave your rating interview on a platform uh, that is easiest for you to do it. Hope you'll tune in again each and every week as we bring you tactical, practical insights on Tuesday and uh, executive profiles and guidance on your career journey on Thursdays. If you're eager to keep learning, well, you, my fellow Philomath, can find resources and highlights from this and every other discussion, uh, along with social media links, research that I've done to figure out how to guide these discussions over on the episode notes page at mysuncast.com. I hope you'll check it out. And I want to thank, finally, the sponsors who help make this content free to you each and every week. You can learn more about our sponsors at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. That's also how you could figure out ways to partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week, just like they do. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.